Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. That would be me. I'm awfully glad to be back here in the chair, uh, in front of the microphone, spending time with you. Such a favorite thing of mine to do. I'm looking forward to this. And I've got a great show, as always. Uh, Patrick Albanese will be joining me in just a minute. And then the Monday afternoon mix with Miles Arnold and Maxwell will be uh, brought on after that with some smooth jazz music. And then uh, Sheriff, uh, former Sheriff of Ramsey County, Matt Bostrom, who is now pursuing his Ph.D. in character development when it comes to hiring law enforcement um, officers and how important character is in hiring police officers. That's going to be the whole hour, too. So get your questions ready for Matt. He's a friend, and he was uh, used to be in charge of uh, Ramsey County here in, in St. Paul, and he's an amazing guy. So it's going to be a great uh, a great day. So I'm in Psalm 121. It says, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Put that in the bank. That's Psalm 121, verses 7 and 8. Now my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa, Patrick Albanese, is joining me on Skype. Patrick, welcome. Good day. Yeah. <laughs> it's day, day, yeah, it's daytime, right? It it's is daytime. Middle of the Are you confused? I am well. I don't. You know, it's. Uh, I'm. I'm a little out of sorts. I actually had to take a day off today because all my previous days off really took it out of me. <laughs> I got nothing left. <laughs> it can. It can happen though. It can happen easily. It can happen to the best of us. I have overdone the moderation. Yeah, indeed. So to speak. Yeah. So Father's Day, happy belated. How did it go with the kiddos? Yeah, no one got hurt, which Good. is usually my criteria for everything. Oh, it was. It was fine. You know, it's. Um, my, my wife had all these plans, and I said, you know, I, I seem to recall on Mother's Day when I asked what you wanted to do, you said nothing. And when I, and when you asked me on Father's Day if I, what I'd like to do, I said, you know, pretty much nothing. And you said, you can't do nothing on Father's <laughs> Day. It's like, yeah, see, this, the father should get to decide these things. Right, exactly. Uh, they wanted exactly. to give, it's funny, my kids gave me this cute book uh, called What I Love About Dad. And it's 50 pages, and it, it's kind of like a Mad Libs. Mm-hmm. Uh, starts out with a sentence, and then the kids had to fill in uh, the rest of it. So, like, uh, I guess some of them are kind of cute. It means so much that you showed me how to ride a bike even if I didn't listen. <laughs> 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 I got some favorites in here. Uh, you gave me the courage to get up and have a great day. That was really cute. <laughs> I love remembering the time you took me to everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great answer. I know. Not specific. Gonna... It just didn't didn't matter where they were going as long as they went with Dad. I think having to put 50 in here is what really taxed them a bit. Uh, uh, sometimes your ability to amaze, that blank spot, sometimes your ability to amaze me amazes me. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Here's another. You were right about blank everything. <laughs> That's a lot of wisdom at a young age. Yeah. 
And here's, I think, one of my personal favorites. I love how you never get tired of my blank existence. <laughs> uh, only in Albany's would about, answer that way. Only in Albany's. You know, there, there's about 10 of them in there that make reference to jokes, that they like my jokes. They love how I laugh when I tell a joke, even if they don't think it's funny. Oh, that's uh, it's cute. I, I am I am very hopeful that this, you know, when they uh, soon approach their teenage years, the teenage eye-rolling years, <laughs> but uh, when they bring friends over, they don't say, just whatever you do, don't come over when my dad's home. <laughs> <laughs> so were you 13 or 17 when your dad died? 13. 13. And your dad, was he, uh, did he love a good gag and a good laugh? Was he, had a good sense of humor? He had a very good sense of humor. Okay. Uh, you know, so, uh, and, and, you know, it's funny, there are so many things that uh, I, I, I take after, uh, even at a young age, the, with him passing at my age of 13, uh, he was only 50, uh, how much of an influence he had on me and how much I, I realized, oh my gosh, I have become so much like him. And, you know, I hadn't entered those teenage years where a teenage boy tends to, you know, get into disagreements with dad. Uh, yes. I, I always had that enamored view of this is the greatest guy in the world, you know, and uh, to this day, you know, it's been a lot of years later. Uh, what, 46 years later, uh, I still, you know, have all of those memories of this guy that would joke with me and we would do puzzles together and build uh, models together. And uh, my connection through being a magician and getting interested in magic is his brother was heavy into magic, was friends with a lot of magicians around the world. And so hmm. that was his favorite brother. And uh, we had this connection. He'd go to Florida, get some magic tricks for me from my uncle who had this connection. And uh, then my dad would come home and we'd just go over him. That was how I got time with him. No, that's great. Our hobbies. Yeah. So when you lose him, when, when you're 13, you're, that phase you're in with your dad, I mean, he's the guy in the house wearing the red cape. I mean, he's Superman. Yeah, he had red long johns, actually. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, you uh, don't. Uh, you just have such incredible admiration for him. You haven't had too much serious conflict yet, have you? No, and it's also interesting. Uh, you know, so I'm one of eight kids, and because uh, and you've been through this too, um, my one brother was 16, and the other brother was 19. There's three boys, and it is amazing. Just you know, the the three six year difference uh, between us, how it affected each of us. And of course, you start to realize the importance of fathers at various stages of a young boy's life. Uh, my 19-year-old brother, he was kind of out on his own anyway. The 16-year-old brother, he turned to just craziness. And of course, my mom was having a hard enough time grieving, trying to take care of eight kids while being a widow uh, at 39 years old. Mm -hmm. But... Um, my middle brother got into all kinds of trouble and I kind of took on this. I'm the only, you know, guy around here that can get stuff done now. Mm -hmm. So I kind of became that guy. I just didn't want to make my mother's life any more difficult than it was, you know, going through all of this stuff. And it was a rough year because six months after my father died, his dad died. And then uh, six months after that, my mother's father died. So we had uh, three funerals in a 12-month period of oh, the yikes. three father figures. Yeah. Yeah. That's... 
not a pleasant time. No, that's a tough one. But you are uh, doing a great job as a dad, and I know your uh, kids just think you're the, they think you're Superman, which is great. It is nice, and yeah. you know, and I never have trouble getting them to sign waivers. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's always good. You got a stack of them on the, on the dining room table, don't you? Stack of them. That dad is not responsible for any of this. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, it's nice because they do like to take after you know that I like to fix things, and so when they're having a struggle with something, I go, "Well, take dad's approach first to throw something." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then calm down. And then get to yeah, work. Take a break and then get uh, get uh, get to work, yeah. Yeah. So I was reading uh, a book and enjoying very much a quote by G.K. Chesterton, and he said, the existence of evil is the only religious doctrine that can be empirically proven. That's why some people come to believe in the devil before they believe in God. And interesting. You know, God, that is really, that, you know, that's interesting on many, many levels because... I was thinking about, uh, I have a sister-in-law who is kind of heavily into the new age, if it's still even new age now. It's so old, it's old age. But um, I remember all my years of of dabbling in that stuff, and it was always about shortcuts. And I was thinking about that exact thing in in, in that uh, the idea of people believing in the devil and even wanting to almost be in league with the devil is it's the promise of shortcuts. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll get you everything God has promised. Uh, no obligation, no salesman will call, no strings attached. And of course there's always strings attached. And, uh, but it's, it's amazing how people seem to be more willing to jump to the dark side because it seems easier. I know. Um, it's yeah. So I'm going to, I want to, talk to you about another thing I read in the book. I think I sent it to you because I wanted to discuss this. I'll probably not be able to find it. Um, but it was uh, from a book um, written by Anthony Stefano, which I interviewed him last week, and I've kind of been enjoying this book, going through it a little bit. And it, it was talking about the diabolical cycle of temptation. And I thought that was uh, really, yes. really interesting where the enemy uh, uses lies to encourage you to rebel against God in the form of sin. I go, mm-hmm. hmm, that makes sense. That comes pretty natural, right? Yep. He then uses your repeated sins to make you a slave to sin. Yeah. That, that makes sense too, doesn't it? Yes, it does. All right. Yes, After it does. he has enslaved you for a period of time, He does his best to convince you that you are powerless to conquer your sins as well as any of the other challenges in your life. So set up a defeatist attitude. Yeah. Can't win. Might as well enjoy losing. Yeah. And this leads to hopelessness, which leads to even more sinning. After all, why bother to resist? And even more fear, disorder, and despair. It's, you know, you and I have uh, worked with a lot of people that uh, struggle with addiction problems. And we were once talking about that uh, uh, one of the things that happens with an addiction is it tries to get you as early in the day as possible because then the day is, it's written off. Yes. You know, so if you have an intention to say, I'm going to quit. And the next thing you know, 6.30 in the morning, there you are, you're imbibing or taking, you know, partaking of whatever that addiction is then instantly your brain says, well, today's shot. It's shot. So I might as well just keep on using all day 
and then I'll start fresh tomorrow. Tomorrow will be the day. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's like Satan's goal is to get you early. Get you, and then once once he gets you on the sin path, it's like, well, I've got you for today because I know how your brain works. Right. You know, you're not going to quit in the middle of the day and say, that's it. You're going to say tomorrow morning, mm-hmm. that's my fresh start. And he's going to come right at you again in the morning and start the cycle over again. It's, it's, what, what, you have a very clever way of phrasing it. It's uh, something, you know, Satan has, well, I, I think I've paraphrased it. Satan has no new tricks because he doesn't need them. No, he does not. The old ones work so well. He he just goes with this standard trick that always works for him. And this cycle that he wants to keep you in for as long as possible, he'd prefer that he keep you in that cycle right up until the time you die. It's a perpetual motion of negativity mm-hmm. and evil. Yeah. Yeah. And, and plus it's lower maintenance for him. Once you're in that vicious cycle, he can probably set you aside and go concentrate on somebody else and say, that guy's he's, I got him in the cycle. He's mm-hmm. fine. And if you yeah. can keep on, if he can keep you rebelling without repentance or just to keep you on this train of despair without any fresh hope, um, he's, he's, he's got that cycle going. Well, you asked me a question probably 20 years ago, and I'm finally ready with an answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want you to hold that answer. We'll come back. Yeah. We'll call that a cliffhanger. So when we come back, people will just be uh, really excited to hear that answer. Speaking of Patrick, Patrick Albany, he's my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa in the prestigious town of West Des Moines. We'll be right back. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. Welcome back to the show. Patrick Albanese is my guest as we get things started the week. We always like to start on a little bit of a light note, but we're not that light today. We're talking about Satan and temptation and... The enemy. So <laughs> this is kind of not like us. Well, on a light note, we have two minutes less daylight today. And uh, I don't know about you. I'm already missing that. I am too. It's already taken its toll on me. <laughs> we had the longest day of the year. And so all of a sudden it's like we're already on the downhill slide. Oh, my goodness. That is not good. That is not good. So anyway, we left out on a cliffhanger. Let's get back to that. Well, uh, so uh, 20 years ago in April, uh, I, I had started doing your show. And uh, then uh, going through training and getting to know you and uh, Mike and Bob and then starting to ask questions about Christianity because I just noticed something really unusual about you guys that I go, you know, gosh, these are not the the unusual Christians I normally run into or the caricature of Christians I've been told about. But you would ask me a question and I did end up eventually answering it, not 20 years later, but you, you asked me, what is what am I resisting? You, you, so you, know, you go, well, what is it exactly about, you know, uh, devoting your life to, to Jesus? What is it about uh, becoming a Christian? What, what, what's, the, what's the sticking point? What's the, what's the thing that you're resisting? Why, you know, you're resisting it for some reason. Mm-hmm. What is it? It wasn't, you weren't trying to trick me at anything. Yeah, I was. Okay. <laughs> well, can, you, like, can, you, can you tell me what that was? No, no, no. I wasn't trying to trick you. 
No, but 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 you knew there was because the answers kind of silly. I you know I had this friend years ago, and I used to be talking about wanting to be a millionaire. He says, "Hey, that's great. What do you want a million dollars for?" Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I think it'd be you know he asked me to list all the reasons, and you know by the time I was done, he says, "Looks like fifty grand will cover you." <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah I mean, trip to Disneyland, that kind of stuff, and you look at all yeah, the things yeah. that you want to be a millionaire to do, and you know. Didn't need the million dollars. Like right. you don't need much. Actually, right. it looks like you can kind of accomplish this with just your average job. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you don't have to work that hard. Yeah. But uh, it was a great question to ask. What is it you're resisting? And you know, it's if you're being honest, you have to say, uh, I'm I'm afraid of what might be asked of me. That's something I'm resisting. Because what if what if you know I am asked to go to Tahiti? <laughs> No, hang on a second. That's not. <laughs> I think it was a, a fishing trip in Tahiti, or yeah. was it a mission trip in yeah. Haiti? Yeah. Uh, you don't want to go to North Korea, be a, a missionary there. You know, God, you know, you'd, you, you'd go. I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah, and I think, you know, again, in in retrospect, you look back and you say, "Oh my gosh, how am I going to explain this to people?" And that's it's a stumbling block because mm-hmm. you think. Oh my gosh! Oh, you know, especially I'm living in LA at the time, and that's uh, that's where Christian bash, bashing is a sport. It is, uh, and taken up by armchair quarterbacks everywhere. So uh, it's one of these where you say, "Oh, good, no, see, now I'm one of them people." Oh, what I don't, yeah. and you think that's why you're resisting. You're resisting this amazing gift of the gospel, this amazing gift of an eternal life, because you're afraid of what your friends, yeah. Are. Hey, friends. That's a sober moment, isn't it? Say, think it's, and you have to say to yourself, "This is a. What we do? Do I give anything else this much credence with these friends? Right. I would and pick out my lunch <laughs> off Chick Fil A menu. Be like, nah, that's up to. I'll make that decision myself. Yeah. But suddenly, the biggest decision you're going to make in your life, you're saying, like, oh, what are my friends going to think? And and I and I don't know if that's you know the same experience that other people have. That's just where where I was kind of cornered and I said, gosh, I don't have an answer for mm-hmm. that. I don't have an answer for that. And that was, that's where it happened, you know? And it's funny because in a similar fashion, very shortly after you asked me that, I was sitting with a pastor I had gotten to know. We're sitting in a parking lot down in the Redondo Beach, uh, the parking lot of his church. And I just asked to meet with him to discuss gospel things. And <laughs> you'll love this. He says, he goes, well, I, I, as I see it, you're all out of objections. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I guess he says, so let's do this right now. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. He said, well, tell me what you're, what, what you have left on the plate. That's the problem. The thing, the thing that's stopping you. I said, I have nothing. He says, well, let's go. And I was like, oh. my gosh, that's, that's right. That's, let's go. That. That's where I dropped the ball because I was dropping you you off at your hotel room, September twenty fifth, and I was I was wanting to say, Patrick, if there's no reason you're being held back right now, let's pray to receive Christ right now. And I remember getting really close, and then then you ended up jumping out of the car, and then the next day you met with the pastor on September twenty sixth and prayed to receive Christ. Yes. Well, he visited me in intensive care after jumping out of my vehicle. <laughs> you did not show up. Yeah. 
<laughs> but it would have been a lovely day to get saved. That was also my spiritual birthday is September 25th. That would have been, been fun. You deposited me on the doorstep. Yes. And, uh, you know, the thing is, it was a, it was a gentle leading. No, no pushing, no prodding. You just answered questions. And I, I think as Christians, that is something that we always have to be available and ready to do. And mm -hmm. it's, it's not always easy, for sure. It's a um, perfect reminder, Patrick, is would you like to pray to receive Christ now? We don't ask that question enough. I think it's, it's too risky for some people. They feel like, well, if they turn this down, then what? And I think it's, uh, it's, it is the risk worth taking, period, full stop. Yes, and, and I, I think that the difficulty, too, is people sometimes faced with that question are going to say, well, wait, 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 what, what else is, are you going to ask me for money next? I mean, what's going on? What happens next? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's like, it, you'll be fine. You, it's it's like the, the, nobody's going to ask you to do anything. The you know you, you once you've asked the Holy Spirit in, then and you don't you know it's I, I as you know I often say I, I'm not a I'm, I'm a very very good forensic scientist. I'm not one of those people that can say, gosh, I think God spoke to me. I, I don't feel a physical presence of the Holy Spirit enter me at an exact moment. I accept Christ, but then I look back. And I do the detective work in retrospect as, as the forensic side of me kicks in. I go, aha, yeah. that's where things started to happen. I didn't even see it. It just started happening. Uh -huh. And I, that that's a perfectly fine way, I hope, <laughs> for it to go. I hope. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, so what was it like for you to have um, guys in the dressing room praying before a show because that was probably the first time you were with uh, guys praying before they went out and did a, a show. It was fantastic. At first it was a little awkward, but uh, then you see, I go, look what they're asking for. You know, nobody's praying to be, you know, make sure I'm funnier than these other two. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't hear my prayer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I understand there were some silent prayers. There was silent prayers. <laughs> yes, but uh, it was it was nice to see that people were focusing on, you know, let us deliver to these people what they're here to receive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, if yeah. they see something in us that leads them to you, wonderful. Of if course. they're just here for some laughter to get rid of the stress of the day, wonderful. Help us deliver that. Yeah, we would always pray too that we don't know who's coming into a theater who is depressed, who has gone through tremendous grief, going through grief, uh, who just needs to have their spirits uplifted. So yeah. it's always uh, it's always good to see the, the power of the Holy Spirit at work. Patrick, thanks for doing the show. Thank you. All right, we'll take a little break. We'll come back with a Monday afternoon mix of Miles Arnold Maxwell. We'll be right back.
afternoon mix with Miles Arnold and Maxwell. Team, how are you? Doing well. How are you doing, good. Bill? Good. I'm doing good. Happy belated Father's Day. We're still kind of celebrating the dads and happy Father's Day. Thank David. you. Yeah, yeah. How'd yeah. it go? It went really well. Good. So um, I have a, a bracelet. Nice. And so my wife and kiddos, Tammy, and those guys got me a bracelet, and on it, it says my kids' names. And so Tammy has a ring, um, and she's got our wedding ring, and then on her other hand, she has a ring that lists all the kids' names, like Sweet. four of them. So so they broke that out of me yesterday, and I was like, oh, man, this is so cool. Nice. Nice, nice. So today I was wondering, we had a discussion, uh, Rebecca and I, and I thought this would be kind of an interesting topic. And I sent it to you, David, in advance, which I don't always like doing, because I sometimes just like springing stuff on you. That always goes well. That always, it always, you know, it does go well. Spontaneity. I mean, the, the man's a machine. He can answer anything. <laughs> He's grounded in the word, and we're learning. That's what I mean. He's grounded in the word. Yes. We'll start with the word. We'll yeah. be with the word in the middle, and we'll end with the word. There you Thank go. you. But the discussion was about these terms called uh, transactional inclusion or affirmational inclusion. In other words, you're included in the transactional one because you're born again. You become part of God's family. In the affirmational inclusion, the, the discussion point, I believe, if I, if I understand this correctly, is, well, you know, you should just affirm me with all of my problems and all of my flaws and sin, and I might continue to live a sinful lifestyle, but you should still affirm me because I'm a nice human being, and I should be included in this God family, this family of God, without having to jump through your hoops. There you go. Who wants in? Anyone want to jump in? Well, I found a really similar quote. I don't know. Should we start yeah, there yeah. Um, from Dr. Michael Brown, That's who's been I, on the show? That's where I got it. Uh, and it, it's from his book called The Real Kosher Jesus. And he, of course, is Jewish and a Messianic uh, believer in Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, he wrote this book and it says, uh, today we often hear about the importance of being inclusive. But what people often mean by inclusion is, quote, accept me as I am and affirm me as I am. And he calls that affirmational inclusion, just like yes. you were saying, Bill. Uh, Yeshua did something much better. He practiced what I call transformational inclusion, where he met people where they were and then changed them. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's, that's that big. thought. Yeah, I think that's that's really critical thing. And I think one of the the first one is very um, man centered. So it's idea of like it's it revolves around me, it revolves around my ego and my need to be the center of all things. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other one is very God centered. Yeah. And so you have that old quote that. If you're in a boat and you throw uh, an anchor to shore and you pull on it, do you pull the shore to you or does the shore actually pull you to it? And so you need to start there. Another thing that's really interesting is that somehow along the way today, we've begun to confuse the issue of the word tolerance. You know, tolerance used to be having, you know, opposing different views and being able to hold those and be able to have a conversation now it's become tolerances. Unless you agree with everything of what I feel, think subjectively, whether in reality or not reality, unless you agree with all of that, then you're not being tolerant. And that's not the that's not the case, you know. So tolerance has become this thing. I remember one pastor telling me um, from being from a certain part of the country, and uh, he would he would dutifully listen. 
and, and make sure to have conversations with people in his, in his congregation when they would disagree. And one day his assistant said to him, and we'll just use like our counseling term, say zingo, because no, there's no zingos in our office, in, in our audience, at least not that I know of, so no one will get jabbed by their spouse saying they're talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> but the person said to him, uh, zingo, what you have to understand is in this part of the country, when a person says, you know, do you understand me? They only feel understood if you do what they told you to do. Mm. So if you don't do what they told you to do, then they don't feel like you understood them or you've heard them out. And that's kind of where we slid to with this ideal of, of affirmation and of, of tolerance that we have today. And that, that's not the case. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a really interesting um, distinction because the way that, that I tend to view myself and what I want tends to revolve around what I think about myself and, and what's good for me and my desires and what I would like, how, how everything would go just wonderfully according to plan if it went my way. But of course, that's not how life goes, <laughs> at least not my life. And, and so I, I think about kind of the, the transformational inclusion. I see transformation as a great thing because mm-hmm. I know I'm not good enough on my own. I want to come to Jesus and have him transform me into the best because it has to come from him. But if I'm only able to present my own interests and desires and say, okay, this is as good as it gets. And you just have to say yes and kind of leave me here in this bubble and just, you know, allow me to be me and that's going to be good enough. Then that's never going to be the best because it doesn't have that transforming power of Jesus Christ. Right? Right. Yeah, you got my vote. So you'd only be settling yeah. for for a lesser under even if you were the best that you possibly could at that affirmation stage, you wouldn't be as good as if you were transformed into the image of Christ, which is what God calls us to. Because mm-hmm. we can't do it on our own. Right. And transactional seems like a scary word for some people where they want to be spiritual, but they don't want to come in under the authority of God's word. And yet they still want to be included. Yeah, and it comes back to... And how does that work? Well, we've had the conversation before when we were talking about the subject of Lord and Savior. You know, people are like, I want Jesus to be my Savior. But again, the question becomes, as we're listening to this, what can you live without? Mm. Water or air? For a very long time, neither. Right. (laughs) You know, in order for him to be Savior, he must be Lord and have the authority in order to save you. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's only because he has authority that he can and that you can actually rest in the assurance of what he's done. And so that that's one of those really critical things. And as to our emotions and as to our thoughts, they're blessings of God. But Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is desperately wicked above all things. Who can discern it? Who understands it? And our thoughts can get, they can get really wayward. I know for myself that sometimes in my brain I was having a conversation and I remember, you know, I've tried to, to work on this and not do this as much. I ask more questions. But I remember one time I was having, you know, having one of those, you know, lively conversations with my wife called an argument. <laughs> <clears throat> and in the process of it, I was thinking something. And I remember I said, when, you, when this happened, you meant this. And you should have seen the look on her eyes. And when her eyes looked like that, I said to myself, oh, lips, you failed me again. (laughs) And she was like, you really actually thought that that's what I was thinking? 
Well, to ourselves, we can begin to think that what we're thinking is correct, and we can get into the process of affirming. But if there's no standard by which to measure that against, then we go wayward. We go wayward real quick. Yeah. I I think this gets, and we haven't mentioned it outright, but this gets really down to the nitty-gritty of what we're called to give up when we come to Christ. When who we are called to be and what we may consider to be precious or part of our identity or part of, you know, this this sin that's been with me for so long that I just I can't I can't do anything else. You know, this is who I am. And we don't want to consider ourselves outside of that. And, you know, whatever that is for you, for me, uh, God calls each and every one of us accordingly to come to Christ as we are. But he never leaves us as we are. He calls us to his image. We're supposed to pick up our cross and follow him. And if we don't do that, is it Matthew 10 that says you are not you're not worthy of me. You mm-hmm. have to pick up your cross and follow me. And you can't turn back and you can't look and see, well, you know, what about my family or what about this or what about that? He says, no, this is, this is the way it's got to be. When you, you are called and you are invited as you are, but you're going to come and follow me and you're going to be transformed by that. I heard a great illustration. I think Tim Keller used it and I will personalize it for you, David. When you talk about, you know, people don't want necessarily to have a Lord and Savior. They just, they want the gift of salvation, but they don't want to be under anyone's authority. So it'd be the equivalent of you coming to my house, knocking on the door, and I open it, and I say, come in, David, stay out miles. Mm. You can't do it. It's all or nothing. (laughs) True. Kind of stuck with me. Well, I like being stuck with Bill. (laughs) (laughs) I know. You're stuck with her, too. I know how it goes. It's good. It's a good place to be stuck. Oh, stuck on you. You're stuck on me. Like but there, there, does, there does seem to be a, a, a progressive movement in the church where there's uh, more and more things kind of being watered down. And it seems that, I don't want to be speaking in great general, generalities here, but um, there, we're, not, we're not addressing what God says is sin. We're not saying that is against God's moral law. There's some people and many people in churches today going, that's eh, a little old fashioned. Yeah. Well, there's there's people in church and there's people outside of the church right now. Yeah. I mean, there's things where where currently um, the church is saying certain things are OK and they're actually approving of, you know, groups and individuals behaviors because they like other things about them. And it's leaving people really quite confused to say, wait a minute. I thought I understood you to believe this and that this was your moral truth and this is your moral compass and this is the things that matter to you. And now because of fill in the blank, you know, be it preference, um, be it fear, be it be it that, you know, concerns of a changing country, people are starting to say, oh, no, that that person, that's okay, You know, that that's all right that they that they think, feel or say those things. And it's kind of like, no, it's not. And so truth is not changed, and God is still truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so what can happen is we can begin to—I remember one person once said to me, they, they, they said, you know, you can get in, engaged in, like, American dream Jesus. We're like, we're coming to Jesus just to make our lives better. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that I'm desperately in need of a Savior, and none are righteous, no, not one— and that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all means all, 
Mm-hmm. That's all that all means. And we think that, you know, well, I'm coming to Jesus because things are kind of, eh, and I just kind of want things better. So I'm, I'm just going to add a little Jesus to my life. Jesus, as Rebecca, you were saying earlier, it's like, no, it's all or nothing. It's Jesus mm-hmm. or bust. Oh, yeah. Is what Jesus You don't add saying. him to the resume. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You don't tweet him on your, you know, thing just to kind of lift your brand. Mm-hmm. You know? I like. All right. Monday afternoon mix, Miles Arnold Maxwell. We're uh, talking about transactional inclusion or affirmational inclusion. If you're hearing about this for the first time, so are we. There you go. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Monday Afternoon Mix. Miles Arnold and Maxwell, we're here for you. And we're having an interesting discussion about something that none of us know much about, but it's kind of been interesting. And transactional affirmation and, and I'm sorry, transactional inclusion and affirmational inclusion. And it seems to be a, a trend where not until you are born again do you have that transaction that goes on in your life that you are then included in God's family. And that requires submission. And Rebecca, what else were you saying at the break? Oh, transformation. Transformation. That, and I've, I've also heard that kind of posed between the idea of unconditional love and conditional love. That when people think about an unconditional love, that it has to do more with this, well, I can do whatever I want and you still have to love me. And you have, my, that love is defined by me and by how I want you to receive my response to you. Um, whereas the love that God has for the entire world is is wide and it is unending, and yet it does have conditions in that in order for you to be part of God's family, in order for you to be in Christ, you have to believe in him. You have to follow him. You have to trust. And you have to put the old man to death and raise to newness of life. Those are the conditions, so to speak, that scripture lays out. And that is a loving thing to do because God wants to be reunited with us. Mm -hmm. But the sin part has to be taken care of. And that's what he's done. So there are, and it's, I think it's fascinating because it goes back to our definition of love and are we calling God to fit into our box of what we've redefined love to mean, mm-hmm. or are we willing to submit our souls and our hearts and our lives That's to his design and his right. definition of Great love? Great point. Yeah. That, I mean, it's really, you Gold know, star. we, we, earlier we, we talked a little bit about um, John fourteen six. You know, and Jesus is like, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And then he goes, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one, you know, it's not just a couple, but no one comes to the Father but by me. And in that, we have a kind of an inclusive exclusive. Mm-hmm. You know, it's inclusive yeah. that yes. anyone can come, but it's exclusive that he's the only way. And a lot of times we get kind of, you know, bothered. Like some people are like, well, you know, Jesus, you can't believe it. Jesus is the only way. That's not the thing we should be focusing on. We should be focusing on the fact that there's a way at all. But then down from John fourteen six, then Jesus says this. Here's if, if is a conditional clause. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You know, so sometimes people are like, well, I love Jesus, but I do whatever I want to. And Jesus is like, um... Let me talk with you about that. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Well, I don't know if I can do that. And it goes on to say, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. And so the importance of 
truth, you know, not not laboring in a lie about things. And it says, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells in you and will be in you. So there's an idea of this inclusive, exclusive, but it's still based upon truth, mm-hmm. the truth that God sees. It's, it's, it's his, not just we see general revelation, that we go to the Grand Canyon, or we look up at the stars and we realize, I didn't do that, but we see special revelation revealed through Jesus Christ and that it's not just us trusting in our speculation. Mm-hmm. So we need to be rooted uh, very much in God's word. And that's why even on the show, we stress, God, we center not not on like, you know, Rebecca's brilliant and Bill too. Aww. And so, but we're not centering on that. We're centering on God's word. And, and listen, if you're driving, this is why we are calling you to a walk of discipleship, a walk of with Jesus, that it's not just a Sunday thing. Jesus wants to know you daily and walk with you daily. Well said. Oh, I think, David, the thought that came into my mind when you mentioned truth and the importance of truth and the truth that comes from God, from his word, from the spirit and Jesus, who is truth himself, is it seems like there's this trend to uh, describe truth in subjective terms. I mean, that's been going on for a little while, but now it's pretty common to hear someone say, this is my truth. I need yeah. to speak my truth. And there's some context when I, I kind of understand what they mean, because we see things from a certain perspective, we can offer that. But the idea that truth is subjective and where two people hold completely contrasting and conflicting things, can they both be true at the same time? And if the culture says, yes, they're going to be confused and, and destabilized. Whereas God says, I am truth, come to me. And that is the firm foundation. That's the only foundation on which you will never be shaken. Yeah, I mean, like there, there is objective truth uh, in this world, and there's objective truth found in God. And I mean, like you, as much as you want to, you know, go to, you know, a cliff and jump off and say, I'm a bird, that's not going to end well. You know, it, it's not. I mean, the truth of gravity is there whether you want to believe in it or not. And so kind of redefining things in ways that kind of make us more comfortable. And like, I love this brother, but there there was just a cringe moment. And I hope we don't like do this and a dear brother in Atlanta decided to want to recast slavery as white blessing. And it's like, um, no, you know, we, we can't do that because well, the blessings of slavery, well, we're not talking about the blessings of nine 11 or Pearl Harbor or the blessings of the Holocaust and or that other people. No, even in, we have to understand there is truth. There are image bearers. And there is a dignified and honorable way to honor God in the treatment of one another. And we're not doing each other any favors by basically getting into this unhealthy affirmation. You know, your child can affirm to you at eight years old that they should have the keys and drive the car. Great. You feel that way. But any parent, any uncle, auntie, grandparent, that you, you don't want to follow through with that affirmation because it can hurt them and it can also hurt a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. Again, well said, David. All right, how about this idea? We have two people who are Christians, and they say, I'm going to look at God's Word, and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to me, to tell me what it means, and they come up with two diametrically opposed ideas. What then? What then? (laughs) Well, then I think they both need to begin at the same place, which is to go to the Word. 
and and maybe talk it out with one another. Maybe bring in some elders, some some folks that have a good understanding and grasp of God's word. I mean, depending on on what type of doctrine you're looking at there. But we know that the will of God will never contradict the word of God. So uh, that would be where I'd start. Yeah. But. Do you have Do you have something in, in specific or in mind, Bill, as you're bringing that up? Well, as we get into an increasingly more self-centered world where people are letting their self-centeredness be known even more, I think they're they're attaching um, they're attaching things to God that don't belong, and they're saying, "Well, this is what the Holy Spirit's teaching me. This is what I've learned. This is what I've, I've been has been revealed to me." And I go, "Well, there's going to be one person right and one person wrong then, because if one is in violation of God's word, that one's wrong." Yeah, I think when we come back to like Second Timothy three sixteen, that all Scripture is God breathed. You know, and it's useful, as Rebecca was just saying here, um, and I'm going to turn there and listen to those wonderful sounds of Scripture. I'm actually doing this close to the microphone. Cause it's my favorite. It's just a beautiful sound. <laughs> you know, all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, rightness. Also, that word there is translated, and oftentimes we've not always done as fully a good job in this. And Dr. Ken Young talks about that in his book, The Trouble with Re- uh, Trouble with Racial Reconciliation, about translating righteousness. Sometimes that word that gets translated, it actually is justice. Mm. And in some ways, there's several different times in Scripture, and that if we really understood that, we wouldn't be having conversations about this as social justice. I mean, like, so justice and righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So as Rebecca says, it's bringing ourselves underneath God's word. Now, we have like, I'm trying to remember the exact C's on it, that there are core, uh, there are there are core cardinal and conviction, you know, um, that they would talk about in systematic theology and different things like that, like core things, like Jesus really is the only way, the truth and the life. You know, um, some of the... Uh, cardinal things um well let's go to go with conviction you know um, when i lived in ohio i didn't know that at that time but there were different um faith traditions where they would actually baptize forward and they baptized forward three times and like i didn't know that you know i was like you know backwards or in the name of the father or son and so that you know forward or backwards um you know great that's a conviction but that does not equate with being there with the atoning work of Jesus's blood on our behalf. And so, so sometimes those things that we see differently, they might not be like a core or they might not be a, you know, a core thing. And one other important thing for us to understand is how culture does affect us. Jesus really came into a first century ancient Near East culture as a Jewish man of poverty underneath Roman colonial rule. I mean, like, we have to understand culture. So understanding how things like individualism and even the Reformation and Renaissance and scientific inquiry and all these various things affect the way that we think is important. So we want to exegete God's word faithfully, but we also want to understand the context that we live in. I like. Well said. When you uh, go back to... John fourteen six and Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You think that's, that is one of the most outrageous claims I've ever heard, right? Yeah. So whenever you hear an outrageous claim, shouldn't the first thing you do is investigate it? Yes. See if it's really true? 
Because yeah. if it is really true, that is it. That's the most important thing you'll ever understand. I would say that when it comes to Jesus saying he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes through him, he's saying that not only is he saying I'm Savior, but he's also saying I'm Lord. Yeah. I mean, and here's the thing. All religions basically boil down to two things. And it's either what a person does to save themselves, whether it's empty themselves, uh, pilgrimage to a certain place, or, you know, sit down, jump up, do a whole bunch of things, or it comes back to what's done for you. Mm-hmm. And, and as we go here, just that scripture says that God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were yet sinners, that means when we had nothing to bring to the table but our sins, it says Christ died for us. That's great. And, you know, if you got a, a tax bill for $20 million, it would be so outrageous. You would have to call the IRS and get that sorted out, right? Yeah. I would. Yeah, because it's so outrageous. You would have to figure out what is this all about. So when you hear the claims of Christ that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You have to examine that claim. And if it's true, you have a new decision to make if you've never received Christ. David, thank you. Um, I love uh, having you here, and this is always a fun uh, fun time together. We're going to take a little break, but when we come back, uh, Matt uh, Bostrom is going to be uh, with me. I can't wait. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.